Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you all here. Uh, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at OCC, and um, and I have the privilege of sharing with you this morning. Uh, over the past few weeks, actually five weeks, we've been in this message series, and you've been hearing from different men in the church, and so um, I'm grateful to be here and share with you. So today we're continuing the series called Relationships at the Box Office. Um, and over the past several weeks, we've been identifying themes in the blockbuster movies that are just at, just as they roll out, actually, um, and seeing what they communicate to us. And actually, we absorb a whole lot more than we think we do from from movies or media. Um, and it's it's kind of like when our brains slip into neutral, they're, they're open to, to what's coming at us. So, uh, and if you don't believe me on that, you can ask my daughter. She's three years old, and you can ask her about Frozen. What's the theme? Who's the main character? What's their problem? What does she need to do about it? And she could uh, she could quote a lot of that movie, which is kind of embarrassing for me to say, but but it shows you, and and we know this that we absorb quite a bit, even at a young age. Um, so our goal with this series is to. Um, to shift our brain out of neutral, or at least evaluate after we've seen something. What was the message there? And is that true? And what does God say about it? So it's been neat and a lot of practical help. So over the past four weeks, we've, we've covered the issues of pride and deception and communication and manipulation. And those aren't the titles of the movies, or else we might think twice about going to see that movie. But, but these are the themes that are in there. Um, and they really do impact us. Uh, so if you've missed any of those messages, uh, they're all online. Uh, I invite you to check those out and, and hear those. But today we're looking at this movie, The Secret Life of Pets. And so I did get a chance to see it. It came out on Friday, pretty sure. So I took my family, uh, my wife and two daughters, one-year-old and a three-year-old. And um, our youngest daughter doesn't sit still long enough. So I actually missed like the last 20 minutes of the movie because we were running around in the hall. But I think I know what happened. And you can, with these movies, you can predict quite a bit. But anyway, if you haven't seen it, that's okay. Uh, Take a look at this trailer and then we'll launch from there. I'm Max and I'm the luckiest dog in New York because of her. Come on, Max. I gotta go. See you tonight. Bye, Gizzard. So long, Mel. See you later, Chloe. What's up, guys? Any plans today? I got big plans. I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to wait for Katie to come back. Oh, I miss her so much. She's back! She's... Hey, Maximilian! I have some big news. Oh, Max, this is Duke. He's going to be your brother. (laughs) Chloe! Chloe! I got a bad situation. Katie brought home a psychopath from the pound. I don't even have a bed now. I'm sleeping on the floor like a dog. Dukas is ruining our lives. He's ruining... It's an emergency. Aw, you little cutie pie. Hey, Max. I'm headed. Max! What's going on here? Hide your own business. Oh, my gosh. What happened to you? Butterfly! 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 Max is missing! 
We've got to find him. Katie's gonna be very sick. We had a great thing going. I blame myself. Yeah, me too. I blame you a lot. We'll bust the both of you out of here, but from now on, you work for me. Advantage me! <laughs> Uh-oh. Just ignore what just happened, okay? <laughs> this is my city. I'll find your friend. We gotta take the secret route. Okay, the secret route was death. Come on! We are descended from the mighty wolf. We have raw primal instincts. Hi, how are you? That are moments away from leading us home. Is it home that way? Seriously? The secret life of pets. Be a good boy, Leonard. Well, there you go. That's actually the whole movie right there, it seems like. But um, it was good. It, it reminded me actually a lot of Toy Story. So if you like Toy Story, you, you would like that. Um, but it's cute, if, especially if you're an animal person. You'll love it. But um, we notice, even from the trailer, you can pick up on several themes. And, and one that runs throughout, certainly, is the theme of selfishness. The gravitational pull in our own hearts towards what we want. And so there's two, there's sort of two plots that develop in this, in this movie. And one is between these guys, the two pets, Max and Duke. So it's kind of like Max versus Duke here. Um, Max is the, is the cute little guy and his, his life gets turned upside down when his owner brings home his new roommate or brother or housemate. So now Max has to, um, everything that was once his, he's got to share. He's got to learn how do I, deal with life with this new big person in my life. And then Duke has to learn how to consider other people, which is something that his size doesn't require him to do um, before now. And, and there's another theme between, you saw kind of the ragged looking pets and they're the abandoned pets. They call themselves the flushed pets. All right. And they're jealous and they have, you know, beef against the, the pets with owners. And so we see this, you know, a couple of themes develop and, and really what runs throughout is everybody wants what they want. And so it's this selfishness theme. And, and again, it's a movie about animals and it's cute, but the life and the humor of it comes from personifying human voices, human problems. And so this is the stuff that actually we all deal with. And, and it drives them. It drives the abandoned pets versus the, the pets with owners. Um, but it also is in our lives and it has the, a really uh, powerful, it's a powerful tool to impact our relationships. And it can really devastate even our closest friendships. Um, so, so here's, just imagine with me. Imagine if your thoughts were completely audible, clearly audible to other people. So you're sitting in a meeting and your boss announces the, the, his new big plan and you just, there it is. There's your gut reaction. It's audible to everybody. Or your spouse asks a question and you just have no way to filter any response and it's just, they hear it. Um, we'd probably be in bad shape. Or, or imagine a, a comic book kind of bubble above your head and just you walking around and you you know you see people walking towards you and your thought about them is just right there on top of your head um would people be offended at our thoughts if they heard or read them 
And I know for me, for sure, they would be. Um, and the reality is, it's, we've got this selfishness in our heart that, that just keeps popping up all over the place. And, and it really can have an impact on our relationships. Um, one thing for me, I notice my selfishness most. I, I notice it a lot if I really, I, I actually stop to reflect, okay, when am I most selfish? And then I had to change the question because I just kept getting like way too much information. It, it, it's a hard exercise to do, but I realized that when I'm driving or when I'm just standing in line, they're both kind of the same thing, and I get cut off, I'm like, I really got to do battle with my selfishness there. I had a goal. I was going somewhere. Or I've been waiting in this line. You know at Costco when you get a slice of pizza? And the, the, they did this thing on the floor with the line. And not everyone recognizes the rules of the line. And so if I'm, I, I'm in line and somebody just kind of gets up there, I'm not really an emotional guy or reactive, but I can switch. <laughs> Something switches inside of me. And, and I feel this like... I got cut off here, you know. I wanted my pizza first. And, and, and it's just there. And maybe you're more even keeled when you drive or when you're at Costco. But maybe you can identify um, this in your life as well. And the, the interesting thing is that our culture really encourages this way of thinking, this approach to life. Um, self-centeredness is not just normal, but it's, it's highly regarded and praised. So for starters, here's a picture of, of this guy, selfie sticks. Right, And I'm not saying these are bad. I'll probably get one at some point so I can get my whole family in the picture. But it's what a great image of literal self-centeredness, right? That our culture just, it's normal. This is what you do. Um, or the music we listen to. If you, um, if you were to like look up the lyrics and just read the lyrics, drop the catchy tune, you might be surprised at the messages that we get um, and, and even the shout, this is kind of shallow stuff, but even that can kind of seep in. Again, if, if we're in neutral and not really filtering these messages and what we're allowing to get in, and it can really impact what matters most to us and the people around us. And at a deeper level, um, not just selfie sticks and music, but, but we soak in a lot from our culture. Our culture lifts up people um, all the time. There's always people that are praised by culture. And a recent example is Steve Jobs. He, he recently passed away, but he is maybe even more highly regarded since his passing as just a, an icon, someone to listen to, a successful man. Um, and, and he, about 10 years ago, spoke at the commencement of Stanford University. So here you've got a really important figure to our culture at one of the best you know, institutions our culture has. So this is a big pinnacle speech, and he's offering the best he has to the best students that are about to graduate. And so I want, we have a little clip uh, from his speech, and I just want you to hear the, the type of message that we get from our culture, and, and notice, if you can, just how, how focused it is on self. So take a listen to this clip. Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. I wish I had the text. I, I should have put the text on the screen to kind of let that sink in a little bit. It sounds great, doesn't it, when we, when we hear these things? Yeah, um, don't be held back by others. Follow my heart. Well, we're about to see 
in a second why that's not such a good idea according to the Bible, but, but these messages so easily get in. And I have one last example. I couldn't pass up the chance to read you guys a children's book from stage. So this is story time. Get comfortable. I want to read this to you. But my point, we get these loud and clear messages from our culture that focusing on yourself is great. Follow your heart. Um, but, but it also is whispers. We get whispers of these things. And even at a young age. So this is Mickey and the Beanstalk. Um, it's based on Jack and the Beanstalk. Uh, everyone has probably heard that or, or recalls that. Um, Here's a picture from, I guess, a more original sketch of, of the story. And this is an English fairy tale, really popularized in the 18th century. Um, but this is the book that I have. Actually, this next slide, this is an image from the movie that I grew up watching. So when I found this book at a, at a little thrift store a couple months ago, I picked it up. And I thought, I'm going to read my girls this story. My three-year-old and one-year-old, and it's Mickey, it's cute, right? But, but let me give you a quick outline and a rundown of this story that we all know so well. Mickey and his friends didn't have an ideal situation, right? Do you remember they were eating beans? It was cut so thinly they could like see through it. They were, they were hungry. They didn't like their situation. And through a series of events, Mickey finds out that the giant has a lot of good stuff. And his stuff is big because he's a giant. So naturally, he grabs some for himself to help improve his situation and his friends. But, but it's, so, it's so subtle here. And the first several times I read this to my daughters, it was just like, what a nostalgic story. And then I realized, Mickey is just totally stealing. <laughs> right? The, the word, I'll show you on page, I don't know, it's in here. The word is grabbed. So Mickey grabbed... The golden or the hen that lays the golden eggs, or Mickey grabbed the money, or Mickey grabbed uh, the gold, the harp that sings, and so it's it's so subtle, and we think like, yeah, he grabbed it. He didn't like his beans, and his friends needed some help, right? So we get this idea of justified actions, um, but actually the story goes on towards the end. The giant catches on and follows Mickey, and Mickey actually cuts down the beanstalk as the giant comes down, and the book says, and that was the end of the giant. And I was like, man, that's heavy stuff. He stole, he murdered, and then here's the last page. Let me read it to you. This is the very last page. From that day on, the three friends were very happy. Mickey traded the gold for good things to eat. Donald watched the hen lay eggs, golden eggs. Goofy listened to the harp play its magic song. And they never ate beans again. Oh. Isn't that great? But... But the message that we get from that is if you don't like your situation in life, by whatever means, make it better. Follow what your heart wants. Regardless of, does that mean steal? Does that mean murder even? Um, and, and obviously I'm, I'm, I'm accusing this fairy tale of quite a bit. Um, but it's so subtle, isn't it? I don't think the authors or whoever wrote it had that intention but it's so subtle because it's there and it's the stuff that we actually like to hear because it's in our hearts. So last week, Josh talked about our hearts, how it, it's the central kind of navigation system of our life. And he showed kind of how it operates and how it leads to our behavior and our words. And I'm going to expand on that a little bit this morning. So in your listening guide, uh, we're going to start out and, and acknowledge that our hearts are sad. And that's an acronym, S-A-D, our hearts. God wants our hearts to be dominated by love for him and love for other people. But our hearts contain several elements that make that hard to do. First, our hearts are selfish. 
That's the S. Selfishness says, I want what I want. This is what we hear our children say just about as soon as they can talk, right? Mine or, or no, or they hold things closely. And the Bible has a word for this kind of selfishness. It's, it's eveleth. Eveleth. And it gets translated as fool or folly in English. So take a look at this verse in Proverbs. Folly, and that's the word, eveleth, is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. So this stuff, this selfishness, I want what I want, it's bound to our hearts from birth. And we have to battle this still as adults. There's two more components to the sad heart. The A says arrogant. Our hearts are arrogant. So not only do we have some desires, I want what I want, but actually, I deserve this. I deserve this thing. Um, And the word in the original uh, biblical language is haleleth. Um, I won't say that again because it'll be wrong, but, but that's the word and it gets translated as madness in English. And then this last thing, um, damaging. Our hearts are damaging. So we want what we want. I actually deserve this more than others. And if somebody else gets this or if they get there first, I'm willing to do some harm to get it. I'll cut down the beanstalk, so to speak, or act out on this new roommate that showed up at my house and try to get him kicked out or whatever. We're actually willing to take some steps to do harm to others. And these last two components we see in Ecclesiastes 9.3. It says, The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil. That's the word. That word, raw, is the damaging idea. We're full of evil. And there is madness. And that's the haoleleth. There is arrogance. Madness in their hearts while they live. We've got this while we live. And then... We join the dead. So, so until the day we die, this stuff is there. And it's bound from, from birth till we die. The, the selfishness, arrogance, damaging heart is what we have. And you, you may have heard the phrase, um, oh, they're in their own little world today or, or something like that. And we know that that could never be true. A quick search will show you that there are now 7.4 billion people in the world today. So first of all, that's a lot of selfie sticks. 7.4 billion, that's a lot to get out there. But that's also 7.4 billion hearts that are all comprised of this stuff. And as we go through life, conflict and chaos are sure to just erupt. As we each have goals and we deserve things and, and I might do some harm if I have to to get what I want. And this is all, this is in all of us. So choosing selfishness, it looks... It looks like it will get me what I want. After all, it's what I want, so I should follow that way. But in reality, it's just like blinders are put on our eyes. And we don't even see the damage that it creates in our relationships. All we see is our needs and whether or not they were met. And we don't see what the, the hurt that it causes others. And it impacts every area of our life as we live out these, this direction that our heart is set on at home. Our, our relationships are, are heavily impacted at home. These are the people we spend the most time with. And it wasn't until I got married that I understood how deep this problem is in my own heart. Because now all of a sudden I have a wife to consider. Um, she has needs. She has preferences. Um, it's not just what do I want for dinner tonight. And as it turns out, Neither of us like washing dishes or taking out the trash or doing the, the things that, that you've got to do. And so we've got, we've got a, a conflict here, potentially. And then we started having kids, and then even more so I realized, uh, man, they've got a lot of needs. I've got to consider them. They want me to read 
Maybe it's this book. We've kind of phased this one out. But they want me to read that book again and again and again. You know, they, they have needs and, and I need to give them attention. So me time and my comfort were significantly impacted when I got married and then when I had kids. And, and that's just life. We, we don't go through life in a silo with just us. And that's why selfishness also impacts us at work. It's hard to get anything done on a team of self-promoters. Nobody is willing to share um, anything that will help the, the success of the group or the company. You may have been tempted to withhold information so that you look a little bit better than everybody else when it turns out you know, what you've done or the success that you've had. Self-focus is really at odds with the team's best interest in the company we work at. Or also, think about your friendships. Selfishness has an impact in our friendships. Now, don't say it out loud or don't elbow or anything, but think about, do you know somebody that no matter what the conversation is at the moment, they have a way of turning it to to be just about themselves and my accomplishments in this area. That reminds me of a time when I, you know, and they they have this way of being self-promoting. So how refreshing is that to you, being the one relating to them? It's not very refreshing at all. And, and the, the scary truth is that we can so easily become that person uh, in our relationships and just promote ourselves all the time. Again, it's there. It's in our hearts. So we think that selfishness is going to be the golden ticket to get what we want. But then it just, time after time, continues to fail on delivering that promise because we're just doing damage all around us when we approach life this way. And the good news is that the Bible gives us some real help. It doesn't just leave it at, here. this is what your heart is like. Um, there's some real help. And, and here it is. Humility gives us the good life that we want. And that's, not, that, that's going to be the, the grand finale statement. Humility gives us the life that we want. So we know from the Bible that there are two approaches to relationships with very different destination points. So the first one is this. Humility leads to wisdom. Humility leads to wisdom. Look at this passage, James three thirteen. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So we see there's a connection here. Humility and wisdom are connected. Humility is actually a marker of wisdom. If you are wise, you will have humility. And we know from other passages in Scripture that humility is just the starting point for wisdom to enter and to grow in our lives. So why is wisdom a big deal, you ask? Well, there's a... um, Someone who's been really influential to me, Harold Bullock, he's a pastor and has had influence on our church, but he studied for 10 years this issue of wisdom. He did just a word study on wisdom and the opposite, which is folly or foolishness. And so here's his summary definition of wisdom. It's the fund of understanding and skill that allows one to accurately assess the flow of life and construct excellent, well-timed responses to it. So basically, as life comes at us quickly and in in complexity, we have complex situations, wisdom allows us to dissect it, what's going on here, and what's the best possible approach. And and I can think of no other thing that I want more than to have a life that is not only uh, honoring to other people, they feel good about the solutions as we face them, but it's actually honoring to God. Wisdom honors God as we face real-life daily situations. 
So humility leads us towards wisdom and the life that God wants. That's why it's such a big deal. Humility leads to the life that we want. We think selfishness is the route, but humility is, Scripture shows us. So look at, let's look at the opposite now. In the next verse, in verse 14, James writes, But if you harbor bitterness and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. And I love, I'm calling them air quotes. I love the air quotes around wisdom in this passage. The NIV uses that. And we do this too, right? We use the air quotes when we talk. It signifies irony and, and that true, that honestly can't be it. So the word wisdom here that James writes is actually earthly wisdom, which is the opposite of heavenly wisdom. The earth, earthly wisdom is the stuff we saw before the, the Steve Jobs comments, the movie themes that we, that we soak in. Follow your heart. That's earthly wisdom. And that clearly is not from the Bible. That is clearly not from God. But it scratches the itch that we all have. When we hear it, it feels good because we want to, to act out in these ways. You know, Burger King, have it your way. We love to hear that. That's right. I want it my way. Um, Nike, just do it. Don't think. Just do it. Do what you want. You know, we get these themes subtly, and we've already seen that. But, but what, we, what they leave out, what the message leaves out, is the destination point of living a life just selfishly and self-focused. So, so here's the destination point of selfishness. Selfishness leads to chaos. The next verse in this James passage, verse 16, For where you have envy and selfish ambition... There you find disorder and every evil practice. And disorder here, it actually means literally like a riot. Selfishness and envy create chaos and riot in our relationships. And when we turn on the news and we see images like, like this one of, of riots, we just think, I am so glad I'm not there right now. That looks awful. It's terrifying. This setting would be terrifying to be in. We're just so glad we're not there. But, but this way of, of life and relating to people out of our selfish tendency leads to this in our relationships. And for some of you, you know exactly what this looks like and feels like in relationships. You might be living through it now or, or dealing with this. But the alternative approach is humility. Humility is what will combat the sure destination of chaos in our relationships, in our lives. So we need to get beyond our selfishness. So to do that, we make a shift from me to we. Me is our default mode. And we is the exact opposite of that. That is, we need to shift from our self-focus and and start to focus on others. So take a look at at this passage, another verse, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. We find here the two basic approaches to relationships that we we could take. We could take the selfish approach or the humble approach. Selfish approach is, I want what I want. You're here to help me get what I want. And then humility is the exact opposite. Others are more important than me. And I'm at least no more deserving than they are here. And look at the next verse, verse 4. Each of you should not only look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So according to the Bible, we were actually made to be in cooperative relationships with one another. That's just how life is designed to be. But when we pursue our selfish direction, 
again, we get chaos. We don't get cooperation. Life actually doesn't make sense out of cooperating with others. First, we need to cooperate with God and relate to Him. And then we need to, to work with others to accomplish things. And the Bible is really clear on this, and it makes a big difference in our lives which direction we take. And so, to, in order to make this shift, it requires a few components to it. Like, you know, okay, cool, how do I do that? I'd love to shift to being more others thinking. Well, here's some ideas on the back of your guide. We can replace competition with cooperation. Competition is, our again, our default mode. Competition says, I'm better and I'll prove it. And this comes natural to our selfish heart. Others are, are in our way, and so I, you know, I got to compete. But cooperation says, let's accomplish something together. We, you know, we're better together. We can, we can get there. Next, replace comparison with complementarity. All right? And we don't use complementarity. We don't use that word all the time. In fact, if you type it, you get the red squiggly lines on Microsoft Word. So, but it's a word. I made sure. And what it means, it's just like you say, oh, they complement each other. It, it, it's, comparison says, I'm better and I know it in my heart. I know that I'm better. But complementarity says, because we're different, we've got different strengths, we've got different giftings, so if we team up, we can actually do more together. It's kind of the idea of synergy. And so, again, comparison is so natural. We see life in terms of how do I measure up to other people? We just have this built-in gauge, and, and we are at the good end of the spectrum, and everyone else is below us in whatever area. That's what comparison is. And ra- so we see life that way rather than seeing life in terms of what am I meant to do? What has God assigned me to do here in this world? And so comparison leads to jealousy and, and bitter envy. And, and here's the really humbling truth. So, for, so side comment. We can choose humility or we can get humbled. Those are our two options. But, and, and the humbling truth of this matter is when we compare ourselves to the only one worth comparing ourselves to, we all fall short. Jesus is the only person ever to live perfectly and, and, and humbly. Although he was God, he, was, he embodied humbleness that we need to model. And when we compare ourselves to him, we all fall short. There is no spectrum that we're on. We're just way down. Um, and here's the last thought, that we need to replace conflict with care. Conflict is the result like we saw. Conflict is that chaos that comes from our selfish goals colliding. But care is actually putting others before ourselves. It's getting past ourselves in order to think about others. What do they want? What might they need? And I can almost guarantee you we're always going to have people in our lives that require almost every ounce of energy that we have to just get over ourselves in order to care for them. I'm pretty sure that that's always going to be the case. Always a chance to practice this. And so we're left with a battle to do in our own hearts. Selfishness really does make sense, actually, if you lack a greater purpose in life than yourself. If you're living for you, selfishness is the right way to go. But if you desire a greater purpose, and if you desire to follow the example of Jesus and experience life more fully, then humility makes a lot of sense because we've got a greater mission than just ourselves that we're on. And all of these attitudes, cooperation, complementarity, care, they all enable that, that greater mission to happen because we need others to team up with to do that. And now I had 
this, this image come to mind as I was thinking of these things, and I can't explain why it came to mind, but ice curling, the, the, the picture of ice curling came to mind. I'm not a curler. Um, I've, I watch it about every four years if I happen to see it um, during the Winter Olympics. But, but here's ice curling, and you might know, but the goal is to, to slide that stone across the ice and to land it as close to the target on the other side as possible. You get the most number of points. So here's, here's a real quick breakdown. You've got the curler, and that's the guy like fully committed laying out to get the perfect slide. And then you've got the sweepers, and their job is to scrub in front of the, the stone as it slides to try to alter the speed or direction of the stone. So here's the connection. I had this image. Our hearts are like this stone. From birth, we've got a speed and a trajectory, and that's the, the sad heart uh, diagram. That's the way that it's going. So we need to sweep. We've got to get in front of it and scrub out the things that do damage in our relationships with God and with others. We need to scrub out the things that lead to a life of chaos and disorder. And and it's only with God's guidance that we can really do that. Look at this next image. Here's a little after the curler has let go. He's got the full view. He can see the target. It's down there. And, and the sweepers are just zoned in. They're following direction. They're scrubbing. They're, they stop. They scrub. They stop. They're listening to the direction of, of the curler. And that's because he's got the big view. And this is like us and God. God has the big picture. In fact, he designed life. He knows which way it's supposed to go and which way we're headed. So he can give us direction through his word, through others in our lives. And it's up to us to scrub. We need to scrub those things out. The conflict, the, the uh, comparison, all of these things that are so natural to us. So it would be really wise for us to consider God in this area. He has the complete view. In fact, he created life itself and knows how it's supposed to work. So I want you to just consider for yourself, consider your own life, which relationships might come to mind where if you shifted towards humility would make all the difference relating to that person. Or maybe there's a setting. Maybe if if at work I made a a few tweaks, I could really practice this humility thing. Now I've got, I, I consider that in my own life, and I've got a lot that I can work on. I can get discouraged by the heaviness of just realizing what's in my heart and how it's a constant battle. That's discouraging, and I realize that. But I'm hopeful because God gives us direction and he gives us hope. I love Philippians 1.6 that says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. He is faithful to help us. So if you're feeling discouraged, me too. <laughs> That's okay. But there's hope. We can, we can scrub. We can do battle. We can grow past this with God's help. And with others who he puts around us who model this um, and, and keep us accountable and, and help us move forward. So like we've said, the way of selfishness just leads to chaos. So think of the difference in your life at home as you relate to to those in your home or at work as you relate to others at work. If you're a student in the classroom, what difference would humility make as you submit to the teacher and their direction and and the success you could have there? Humility really can combat the selfishness in our hearts to produce the good life that we really want. So my prayer for this week, uh, for all of us, for myself, is, re- is that we can reject the lie that we soak in and the lie that is there, that selfishness is the only way to get what I want. 
And I, and I, I pray that we can embrace humility as the way to get what we really want, to follow Jesus' example in this. So there's some, some next steps at, on, in your listening guide and on your connection card. So take a look at these next steps. Consider what it is God might be telling you to do in response to this. First, you may memorize Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Uh, and that's the verse that says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not only look at your own interests, but also to the interest of others. And that's just a helpful reminder to constantly do battle against our selfish heart. Or, or another step, maybe you need to scrub out competition or comparison or conflict. Uh, maybe there's one that stands out on that list. Just circle that. Maybe that's the one you can work on today or this week. Or, or third, apply the humble approach, fill in the blank. Maybe a person comes to mind, a relationship. You can write their name. Or maybe a setting comes to mind at work, at school, at home. You could write there. But I want to encourage you to, to wrestle with that. And this feels like a heavy truth that we just encountered. The, the Bible is a way of, of revealing who we really are. But God is faithful to help. So let me wrap up and pray and ask God to help us as we do battle with this every day. Father, we thank you so much for your word and how it, it, is, it instructs us. God, it does reveal who we really are. Um, but, but you've given us something to be hopeful for. You don't leave us hanging with the bad news but Jesus Christ is the good news that we have a chance at life more full and better than we could come up with on our own so would you help us God as we battle the selfishness the arrogance the willingness to do damage that we have in our hearts I I pray God that you give us a glimpse of the good life as we begin to practice these things Um, motivate us God by a glimpse of what life could be like Help us to identify ways we're selfish. God, it can be hard, but it can, it can be easy, but it can also be really hard to, to get to the depth of this issue. So would you help us, God? We love you and we want to honor you in the way we respond to life. So would you help us, God, as we try to do that? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.